What's up, my friends? Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and this is episode number 239. And today we're talking to Jason Elam, who, along with his wife, Brandy, uh, recently compiled a book. Uh, The book is called Parenting Deconstructed, Navigating Your Spiritual Evolution Without Leaving Your Family Behind. And I say compiled because this is a book of essays written by some really brilliant people uh, about this relationship, this this juggling act between parenting and the topic of deconstruction. And we talk about this in, in the show, but as I was reading this book, I thought to myself, this is a really important conversation that not enough people are having. Because when you when you start deconstructing, right, asking questions about your your faith, having some doubts, rethinking this, rethinking that, right? You know that a lot of things are going to change, right? If you don't, newsflash, stuff is going to happen, <laughs> right? Like your relationship to the church, it's going to change. Your relationship to church people, it's going to change. Your relationship to God, to the Bible, uh, to your your family, uh, to your friends, it, it's all going to change. Everything is going to change. But the other thing that's going to change is if you are a parent, the way that you relate to your kids, parent your kids, it has to change. There's so many, there's so many things regarding parenting that we are raised to think about in one particular way. That this is just the way that it is. This is what you do when you parent your kids. This is what the Bible says, whatever it is. That once you start deconstructing, you're like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know if this 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 approach to parenting or this approach to this particular situation uh, regarding parenting, I don't think this is going to work anymore. And I've got to rethink it. So we talk about lots of different things on the show. Uh, the book, every chapter is like a different aspect of parenting and kind of rethinking it. It's so good. If you're a parent, please get the book. Uh, if you're not a parent and you want to be a parent uh, someday, please get the book. If you have parents in your life, uh, friends of yours who are parents, who are maybe in a place where they're rethinking their faith, get them the book. The book is so, so helpful. Uh, You will not be sorry. It's a good investment of your time to read it uh, and your money. Even if you don't have kids and you have no desire to have kids, whatever, it's still a good book to read because we all have kids in our lives. We have kids, people that we know have kids, things like that. This book will help you better relate to the kids in your life as well. It's so good. It's so good. So anyway, I'll put the link in the show notes, uh, all of Jason's links. He also hosts, co-hosts the Messy Spirituality Podcast. I'll put the link to that in the show notes as well, and I'll go give it a listen. Uh, also in the show notes, Patreon, buy me coffee, two places to go to support the show financially. Also, there's a link uh, to my website where you can do a one-time donation as well. Uh, buy me a coffee can be a little bit weird sometimes. That's like a one-time donation thing. But there's a spot now on the website, uh, whatifproject.net slash support, where you click one-time donation, fill out the box, boom, it's done. It's super easy. Uh, so anyway, those are two places to go, Patreon or one-time donation on the website. Both links are on the website, by the way, so I'll just make it really easy and just put the website link there and you can decide to go wherever it is that you want to go. Uh, also in the show notes, a link to my book, Rethinking Everything, uh, my spiritual journey from a, a world of black and white fundamentalist thinking to this great wide world of color and exploration that I find myself in these days. So anyway, all that to say, my friend, this is episode number 239 with the great Jason Elam. Enjoy. 
Wish I was dressed up fancy. Uh, wish I on a pot on some gold with the rainbow. I'm kind of Tom Clancy. Uh, wishing I had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go and hit a run, I'm a check. Wish I had no other sand, most beating on my chest. Wishing for my people. Uh, wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own beach and we bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland. So much for high on demand. Tiptoe around through and high lows. Feel like James Brown, love we go in here to dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lock. Champion, go ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience. Dub TTG, train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today we are sitting down with my friend Jason Elam, who along with his wife Brandy has recently compiled a book of essays on the very light, very easy topic of parenting, right? No, ah! no big deal. <laughs> no Not big deal. at all. <laughs> very book... stress-free, <laughs> self-care book, really. He tells us all the answers to all the questions that we have about <laughs> parenting. <laughs> Which is why I had to recruit other people to write the actual chapters. That's right. You had to call in the pros, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> absolutely. Bringing the big guns. <laughs> so the book is called uh, Parenting Deconstructed, and as we'll talk about in a moment, uh, there's really nothing out there quite like this book. It's really, really good. So, Jason, uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's Thank great you. to finally have you on the show. I feel like this is a long overdue conversation. Man, it is a really a big honor for me. As I told you before we hit the record button, you and Seth Price, in my mind, are the trendsetters of Deconstruction Podcasts. <laughs> I started listening to you and then Seth. And as I mentioned, then I got the Heretic Happy Hour and went down that rabbit hole. So. Down the rabbit hole. Yeah, well, but well, you Seth guys are Seth is like the Papa Bear of the podcast yeah, world. <laughs> absolutely. So you two were the ones I first started listening to. And I'll just be honest, there would not be a messy spirituality conversation or a messy spirituality mm. podcast without you and Seth. Well, thank you. Well, you, you do really good work. Oh, so thanks, that's a good plug. Why don't we talk about that for a second? Talk to me about yeah. the podcast. Oh, the podcast. It's yeah. been it's, it's been evolved, an amazing right? adventure. Yeah. yeah, it has. And, you know, we're part of that choir cast podcasting network now which i really love because i get to be connected to some of uh people that i've followed for a long time keith giles has been a friend from the beginning i think keith was probably the very first interview i ever did for mm. messy spirituality i remember that actually i do remember yeah. that yeah, yeah yeah and so and then matt came on and you know i'll be honest uh, at first i was really put off by matt and i've told him <laughs> this i wouldn't say it publicly if it wasn't something i would say to him i was really put off by him because i was coming out of this southern baptist mindset and you know i was deconstructed but i wasn't gonna go around using the f word you know <laughs> <laughs> and so i was kind of put off by matt but i gotta tell you getting to know matt for number one he's one of the most compassionate human beings on the planet yeah and number two he's just a brilliant thinker mm. and so to be associated with matt and keith and so many others uh through Choircast, it's just been incredible. The podcast has evolved. We did mm -hmm. three seasons uh, solo, mm -hmm. and then this season and season four, we added a couple of new voices. Um, Lola Rollins is a self-described queer hairdresser who escaped a cult. Mm. And then Kyle Butler is mm. the prince of positivity on social media. Yes, uh, he he's is. a black mystic, and he brings an incredible perspective. I mean, every time the man opens his mouth, I'm just in awe. So it's really fun to get to do a podcast with people you would want to hang out with, anyway. That's awesome. Yeah, his uh, his like social media just births light. <laughs> it does, <laughs> right? <yeah. laughs> he radiates. Yes. I tell him that all the time. Radiates, radiates light. Absolutely. <laughs> 
All right, so we're going to get into uh, an extended version of your story in, in a moment and dig, obviously, into the book as well. But really quick, uh, can you tell us what the book is about? Obviously, it's parenting, but why is this so unique, like we said? Like, you're at a party, someone comes up to you and says, dude, I heard you just wrote a book. What's it about? Give us the quick party version of what this what this book is all about. <laughs> the quick party version is just that my deconstruction happened too late for my older kids. Uh-huh. And on the day my oldest moved out of the house, I found myself overwhelmed to the point of tears mm -hmm. in all the ways we had failed her. Mm -hmm. uh, I was raised in purity culture. I was raised with a lot of end times, conspiracy theories, uh, rapture drills, things of mm -hmm. that nature. And so fear and control were part of my DNA. Yeah. And my wife was raised in the midst of a lot of that as well. And so mm. we had raised our kids with just a ton of rules. Anytime they violated one of those rules, we would just lock them down, take away their phones, do all the stuff that you do. Yeah. We spanked our kids when they were little. Mm. Um, just all of that control and fear-based parenting stuff, which is, there was a lot of anger behind it, you know, mm. but I thought it was righteous indignation because I thought the whole, you know, spare the rod, you hate the child. Yeah. Scripture verse. Yeah. Um, and so I reached out to a lot of my friends after our oldest daughter moved out of the house. And I realized, you know what? I've got an 11 year old. Hmm. And I've also got these adult children now. We've got three that are young adults. And I want them to know this love that I've encountered hmm. in the God who doesn't uh, hate us or want to burn yeah. us for all eternity. So, how do I align my parenting methods? with my evolved spirituality. Yeah. And so I reached out to folks like Keith. I reached out to folks like Matt DeStefano. I reached out to Phil Drysdale. I reached out to Carl and Laura Forehand, Dr. Mark Karras, Joshua Lawson, Jonathan Puddle, John Turney, December Rose Waddleton, Elizabeth and Christopher Aker, Derek Day and Ben DeLong. And they all submitted chapters. And I got the first chapter from Matt DeStefano mm. and I read it. And I sent it to Brandy because I knew she was going to edit the book mm. and she read it and we were just like, oh my gosh, this is going to be really good. Yeah. And his actually ended up being the last chapter in the book because mm. it was just such a, it was, it was the perfect bow yeah. on the end of the book. But really it's all about how do we realign our parenting style in light of this change that we've been through yeah. in deconstructing our faith. That's so, it's so good and it's so it's so needed because there's just so many questions that come up. I think when you start deconstructing your faith, when you start thinking about your kids and we'll talk more about that in a moment. Cause I have some, some questions I want to ask you because <laughs> I have a five-year-old. So I, I I'm, st I'm still early on. So I have, I have plenty of time to mess it up, <laughs> but I have, I have plenty of time also to think through some things and, and get it right. But what I want to talk to you about first is kind of your, your personal journey. Cause you mentioned that you, you did rapture drills. You came from that world and I came from that world too. So I got PTSD when you said that because it Absolutely. literally like there's a lot of, of stuff there that, that comes up. But how did you get from that world to where you are now? Like, obviously there's a big story there, but what were some of the high points of the journey that brought you from the rapture drill world to writing this book on deconstructing parenting? Well, it, it started off, oddly enough, with a podcast. Yeah. I was listening to Brad Jerzak on Jonathan Martin's podcast. Mm. 
uh, the old son of a preacher man podcast. Yeah, yeah. And Brad was talking about the incredible, unconditional love of God. Mm. And he started pushing back on some ideas. You know, I was pastoring a church. It, I had left the Southern Baptist Church. I, I was much more progressive than the religion I was raised with, but mm-hmm. I still believed that, you know, gay people were going to hell and yeah. and that pastors had all the answers and that we needed to save people from eternal damnation and all mm-hmm. that. I was listening to that podcast, walking around the track at my gym. Mm-hmm. And when I got on the track, I believed in hell and that most people would probably end up there. And when I got off the track that day with tears streaming down my face and people around me thinking I was probably having a nervous breakdown, mm. um, I no longer believed in those things. I mm. believed in a God who loved everybody, who had a seat at the table for every human that has ever been and will ever be. And um, so I went back and I, I was so excited. I started telling people in our church about it. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Mistake number one. Yep. <laughs> Um, and you know, some people were incredibly supportive and we're mm-hmm. still close to them to this day, but there was an, an older couple in the church who were like my right-hand man and, and his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were like our biggest supporters. They were basically the associate pastors of the church. And they just said, Hey, uh, if, if you're really going down this road, we can't go with you. Wow. And, uh, so it, it just kind of unraveled from there. The church wasn't sustainable. You know, we were in the middle of nowhere, Alabama, Mm. and we were, we were operating a small little country church in, Mm. in Magaville and all of my views about so many things changed. When you take away the vengeful God, when you take away penal substitutionary atonement theory, yep. when you take away rapture and all of that stuff, when you take away the fear, a lot of the motivation that has kept us in church Sunday after Sunday for so many years is gone. That's right. And so we stopped having church services. We turned our little sanctuary into a basically a farmer's market where people could come and get food for free every Sunday morning. Wow. And uh, it was the best church experience I've ever had in my life. Mm. And it was completely unsustainable financially. And so we went as long as we could, but I wasn't preaching tithing anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So the money ran out. And um, But that was the end of that. And then Mm. not too long after that, my wife and I, uh, talked about it, and we had chased my dream of church ministry for all those years, and so now it was time to chase her dream of of living at the beach and reading books on the beach. Mm. And so we moved to the Panhandle of Florida, five minutes from the beach, and now we're living a life we don't need a vacation from. It's pretty yeah, sweet. That's awesome. So when you when you turn the church into the like you did the farmers market type thing, like how did a lot of people leave? Did a good amount of people stick around for that? Because I'm interested to know, like, did like, did that just like rock people's world or like, I can't handle this? Or did a lot of people stay yeah. and want to do it? No, the people who were there, uh, and I'm certainly not a- ascribing any motive to this, but mm-hmm. the people who wanted that Sunday morning church sure. experience, sure, sure, they left. They went and yeah. found somewhere else. Because, you know, in Alabama, there's a church on every single corner. Yeah. And so they could find what they wanted anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and they went and found that. About half the folks that were there mm-hmm. stuck around and they were an awesome team. They pulled mm-hmm. that market together week in and week out. We had folks bagging groceries. We had folks praying for the neighbors. We had folks wow. checking them in, shopping for the senior citizens who couldn't get out of the wheelchair, mm. uh, loading them into their car. 
more more than anything, it was just encouraging. It was encouraging for our neighbors. It was encouraging for us. Mm. Um, some folks came out of the woodwork and offered to supply us with Christmas gifts for all the families that were coming to the market. So we got to do wow. a little Santa market one Christmas, and people got to just shop for free mm. for their kids. Mm. It was the greatest experience, like I said, greatest church experience of my life. That's awesome. Um, I wish we could have brought everybody with us. Mm-hmm. I, I so admire somebody like Brian Zond. Mm-hmm. who's been able to deconstruct in so many ways and bring the church with him. Now mm-hmm. I know they lost like a thousand people sure. as soon as he came out against war, yeah. but they've managed to bring a whole lot of folks. And, and, you know, he doesn't go as far as I would go on a lot of things, but yeah. uh, it's from a pastor's perspective, it's kind of a miracle that that church has continued to do as well as it has. Yeah, I mean, sometimes things got to shrink before they can grow. Yep. I think that goes for church. It goes for our personal life, too. We we cut back some things, and then that's what ultimately creates and generates the the growth that follows. Now, well, how about your wife? Like, when you came home from the gym and you had this revelation, did you come home and share it with her right away? Was she, like, on the same page as you, or did it take a little while for her to catch up? Brandy has been ahead of me on every bit of my spiritual evolution. <laughs> she's like, oh, you're finally coming around. <laughs> she's like, oh, nice of you to catch up. Right. <laughs> um, I didn't know because we never talked about it. I okay. think she felt like um, her role as a pastor's wife in that scenario was to yeah. be supportive. Mm-hmm. And so, but she was really happy. And I'll tell you, nothing makes her happier than having a third cup of coffee on a Sunday morning instead of heading to the church. <laughs> so, Amen. Preach. <laughs> so she is living the high life now. She's she's loving it. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So uh, this book, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about, talk about the book. Um, a question I had for you while I was reading uh, and I was thinking about this is, and this could take us, this could take us in a million different directions. So we'll kind of see where it goes, but in what ways do you think from your own experience with raising kids and talking to all these different people who who compiled this book, um, in what ways might deconstruction impact the way that somebody parents their kids? Like everybody's different, right? So obviously there's no, there's no, there's no mold, there's no one answer to the question. But what what does someone who's deconstructing need to think about uh in regards to how they parent their children? Because we often think about deconstruction, we think like well, it's gonna it's gonna impact my relationships. It's gonna impact the way that I read the Bible. It's gonna impact you know my church friends, all these different things. But we don't often think that like this evolution of my faith is gonna change the way I relate to, the way I talk to, the way I think about, the way that I parent my my kids. So, in all the things that you've learned, and all the things that you've learned in your experience and putting this book together, what are some of those things that a person needs to think about when they're deconstructing and they're raising kids? That is such a good, interesting question. Um, I think the I think the the most obvious answer in my mind is mm-hmm. that it, it totally changes your perspective on why we do what we do when we relate to our kids. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in the church, it was all train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. Yep. And so I was trying to pass on my faith. Well, now that I no longer believe in an exclusive faith, now mm-hmm. long now that I no longer believe in a vengeful God. I think the priority shifts from passing along the faith to mm. having an identity of my own, knowing who I am, so that I make space for my child to realize who they are. Yeah. And yeah. as my child grows in their identity, as they become secure in who they are, that makes space 
and provide safety for them to explore their own spirituality and come to their own conclusions. Yeah. One of our older kids right now um, is, uh, and I've seen you doing a lot of this, which brings me great comfort. Growing up, I was warned early and often about the occult mm, and oh staying away from tarot cards <laughs> and astrology. And you all just see things. my DMs. I've been warned too. <laughs> <laughs> you okay? You've been more warned more recently than I That's have. Right. <laughs> uh, my daughter's got. A, a tarot deck mm. and at first i was like oh. yeah but the christian uh, soldier inside is still there yeah right <laughs> yeah i've got all those little religious alarms going off yeah um but you know part of making space for her is to let her explore those things even things that would have scared me yeah and, and trusting her enough to be okay with her exploring and, and making her way in the world and figuring out what makes sense to her yeah. i think deconstructing will lead to a lot of apologies between parents and their kids. Yeah. Chapter one of the book is Keith Giles, and he will rip your heart out yep. because his son deconstructed before he did. Mm -hmm. And his son actually came to a conclusion that there was no God at one point mm -hmm. in his life. And he told Keith, you know, I don't want to do this Sunday morning thing anymore. I don't yeah. want to go and be a part of this house church or this hotel church, whatever they were doing at that time. And he, Keith was talking about this on a broadcast this week, how he made him get out of the car and you're going to do this. You're going to be a part. Of... And now looking back, that just brings tears to his eyes. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's us, right? We were so dug in. We were so yeah. entrenched in our beliefs. We thought so many things were so important for so long. Yeah. And then we realize now that really what it matters more than anything is the trust That's right. that, that can exist between members of a family for the love, yeah. making space for love. John Turney, that's the name of his chapter, mm. making room for us to really know each other. And you can't really love somebody you don't know. That's and right. the vast majority of children of evangelicals, in my opinion, this is not some scientific study. It's just what mm -hmm. I've observed in 20-something years of ministry, including a lot of youth ministry. <laughs> the vast majority of evangelical kids don't feel like their parents know them Yeah, yeah. because there's so much of their life that they keep hidden yeah. because it doesn't fit within the parameters that the parents have laid down based on the faith that's been handed down to them. Yeah, And so apologies are huge. In this healing process, I think apologies are huge for, I think in in relating to your older children, but I also think for myself, it's been relating to younger children as well, like my my five year old. And it's funny because I was thinking about this when I was reading. I think I forget it might have been Keith's chapter. I don't remember which chapter it was. There was somebody else I think who also talked about apologizing to your kids. But yeah, that's Jonathan Puddle's chapter title. Yes, apologizing to your kids. That's right. And I didn't realize that deconstruction was going to impact the way that I was going to relate to my daughter until I was actually faced with some like specific things. And it was like in the moment where I was like, oh, like I would have handled this very differently <laughs> 10 years ago that I'm about to handle it right now. And apologizing is one of those things because I remember the first time I was faced with feeling guilty for the way that I spoke to Jordan, like in a moment of of frustration. And 10 years ago, I would have thought like, well, she's a kid, you know, so she'll get over it. And there's this mindset that you respect your your elders and you honor your mother and father, regardless of the way they speak to you, right? You want to honor mom and dad always. But deep now into like deconstruction, I can remember feeling like, 
oh my god like i hurt i hurt my child <laughs> i feel terrible like the look on her face was like i like i just kicked her dog or something like it was it was such a horrible feeling i can remember like i went into her room i was standing outside of her door going oh god like what am i gonna say and she's like three or four at the time so i, I went in her room and had like as much of a heart to heart as you can have with a toddler and told her like i am so sorry for the way that i just spoke to you like i was not patient i was not kind and will you please forgive me and she just like wrapped her arms around me of course i forgive you daddy let's go over and play now you know and <laughs> but every time that happens you know and it's more than i would like to admit but like i feel like our bond becomes like that much stronger and like that much tighter but it's like those kind of things that like i think you really need to like you really begin to wrestle with like the the apologizing to your kid is just such a huge thing and i think just looking back you know as an especially like you have older children so looking back over your history and all the things that you did i think is such a powerful thing just to go to your child and say i messed up and i'm sorry yeah and that transparency right we yeah. we weren't able to be that transparent under the old mindset Not at because all. there were so many things we're hiding from god Mm-hmm. because you know we couldn't especially in a pastor role right because yep. life in the goldfish bowl man you gotta <laughs> protect that image that's right and keep people coming to you for the answers so they yep. can't think that you don't have your life together yep. but in deconstruction we can after the spiritual evolution we can be ourselves yeah and that means being ourselves in front of our kids which means this is good news for parents who've screwed up yeah it's okay to not have it all together. It's okay right. to mess it up. There are going to be times you lose your temper. There are going to be times when you say something you shouldn't say, but that's an opportunity for you to go to your child and say, you know what? I don't get it right all the time, and I'm so sorry. Yeah. Uh, what you just said is a perfect example mm. of parenting post-deconstruction because you were able to go and be very transparent with your kids. My kids, I, I remember my... Um, our son, who's now 18 years old, hmm. he did not, he would say, well, you know, you don't ever cry, right? Hmm. I mean, I've never seen you cry. He had no idea what I was dealing with in my life. Hmm. He had no idea how every Sunday morning, especially after those milestone Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. I would crater. I would struggle with depression and anxiety and wonder hmm. if it was worth it anymore and and feel all this self-condemnation and self-hatred. And I, I was crying all the time, but I had built such a wall mm. with this image and this pedestal that I tried to live on Yeah, that my kids didn't know me. Yeah, And so now we have an opportunity to try to undo some of those things by apologizing, by being more transparent, by talking through our mistakes mm. and letting our kids see that because our kids are going to grow up and make mistakes. Yep. And I want them to know that there is life after failure. It's such a, I mean, it's such a good thing to model for your kids because like you said, they're going to mess up. And if they see that, oh, my mom and dad can admit when they're wrong, then you know there, there's a sense of freedom there for them to admit when they're wrong. I think that's just helping raise such a healthy child because if all they see is mom and dad never, you know, mom and dad never apologize. Mom and dad do horrible things to me, but they never apologize. Then there's a subconscious level in that child where they they can think, well, I don't have to apologize either. <laughs> I don't have to admit right. my wrongs. I, I never see mom and dad do it, so why don't I have to do it? Right. Yeah. And, and you know, there's a lot of uh, I hate I hate this term in this context. There's a lot of slaveholder religion in evangelicalism yeah. Yeah, that yeah. thinks of our children as our property. Yep. You're sure. gonna do that because 
you're under 18 and I'm in charge of you. Yeah. Well, on this side of things, I really wish we would have given our kids a lot more agency as early as they were ready to handle it. And I think that happens at a different age for every kid. Yeah. I think they start off with agency, but that increases and grows yeah. as they get older. Yeah. Uh, and that includes things like going to church. I mean, um, I, I for a long time, it was, you're going to church because you live in this house. right? And then after deconstruction, it was like, of course, we're not going to church. Why would we go back there? That's right. <laughs> Neither one of those is a place of freedom and yeah. safety for the kids. Yeah. I I had our oldest daughter who's turning 20 years old tomorrow. Happy mm. birthday, Alex. Mm. She um she said, you know, I'd really like to go to church and she had a you know, she wanted to go to the Methodist church. That was the best experience at church that she had was when I was on staff at a Methodist church. And mm. so uh, at first I was like, "Oh, why would you want to do that?" But now yeah. I just feel like I ought to just encourage those things because yeah. that's part of them making their own way and figuring things out for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to have their own relationship with the divine. And you don't know Absolutely. how God is going to use whatever decision they may make whether it's going to a Methodist church or it's picking up a deck of tarot cards and how God is going to use that to interact with them and by you maybe being like standoffish to it or not supporting it, you don't know what work you might thwart in them um, going forward. Absolutely. And, you know, back in the old mindset, I, I had a lot of rules and I had a lot of decrees and I had, yep. I couldn't wait to give advice all the time. <laughs> yeah. But now I think it's really more about just asking questions. I want to understand my kids. Yeah. I want to know why they do things they do. I want to understand what motivates them and, and what they're longing for in life and what it is they're seeking as they explore their spirituality. Lola from our podcast actually interviewed two of my kids last night oh, really? for an episode of the podcast. Hopefully. Oh, oh <laughs> and when she interviewed uh, Britton, who is our 18-year-old son, and she asked him, you know, well, what's your spirituality like? And he's like, I don't think about that. Mm. I don't, I believe in God, but I don't ever want anything to do with the church. Wow. And, I mean, I, I thought there was a lot of freedom in that. I yeah. loved that he was able to just give an honest answer and not yeah. worry about what anybody would think about that. But 15 years ago, that would have sent you through the roof, right? It absolutely would have. Yeah. I would have been yeah. pulling the, uh, <laughs> the internet, the modem cable out of the wall to end that conversation. No phone for you, no internet for you, <laughs> no life for you. That's right. We're shutting yeah. you down. That's right. So uh, as you look through this book, I'm curious, um, and you look back over your life specifically like, um, the point where you began to deconstruct. What are some things in the book that you wish you would have known way back then? Like things that you've, I mean, maybe like your top five. And I, obviously, you, your heart is in this book, so you put everything. I don't want, I want you don't have to pick favorites, but maybe what are some of the maybe the top three or four or five things that stick out to you? That man, I wish all that time ago I would have known these things. Living transparently in front of the kids. Yeah apologizing to the kids. And I had a lot of apologies to make all throughout that yep. time. And yep. I wasn't good at it. Yep. Trust me, apologizing all along the way is a lot easier than getting 18 while they're walking out the door, begging them to forgive you. You have your list. Wait a minute For, wait, before you go. Hang on. I'm not done yet. <laughs> right. 20, I've got 20 years of things to confess to you. Scroll, right right. Um, but uh, third on my mm. list would be um, deconstructing discipline. Mm. And that's Derek Day's chapter. Um, yeah. Like I mentioned, we spanked our kids early on. And I am now of the opinion that it's never acceptable to physically harm your child mm -hmm. 
I think it traumatizes them. I think psychologists would tell you that it's traumatic for a child when the person that they trust to love them the most physically assaults them in the yeah. name of discipline. Yeah. And I know I understand all the Bible verses. I get all of that. Mm-hmm. But that cannot be what those things mean. Yeah. It cannot. I mean, the your rod and your staff comfort me, Derek says in his chapter. There's nothing comforting about getting beaten. I, I remember one spanking that I got as a child. My dad had a best friend who was showing off his new paddle that mm. he had constructed himself. He had drilled holes in it because that made it hurt more when it slammed against you. Oh, wow. And so the first time I got in trouble after my dad inherits this new paddle from his friend, I end up bruised Mm. all over my backside. He broke the paddle on me. Mm. Uh, My dad did the best that he knew how to do. Mm. I don't fault him. I don't have any unforgiveness against him for that. That is not what I want my kids to experience. Yeah. Um, That as, as Karen shock, uh, a new choir author uh, put it the other day, that damn wooden spoon. That's mm. what we used on our kids was that damn wooden spoon. And um, man, I wish I could take all that back. Yeah. That sets up distrust between a child and a parent probably more quickly than anything. And I'm so sorry mm. that I ever thought that was okay. Mm. I mean, we think about, you know, I don't know everyone who's listening and their relationship to their divine. But mm-hmm. I do know that those of us on the deconstruction side of the fence um, are are talking a lot about divine presence, divine love, unconditional love, truly unconditional love. Mm. And that presence has never beaten me. That presence never puts me through anything excruciating physically. Mm. Um, I believe that God, the divine, the universe is love that love is the core of our existence it's the core of everything yeah and so shame and condemnation and physical violence has no place Mm. in love yeah yeah the discipline is first of all the discipline chapter um derek day is an atheist correct that's right which i think was really interesting i love the fact that you brought in somebody um into the book who doesn't have like has never isn't part of the Christian faith, so to speak. Like I thought that was such a unique perspective, and especially for that particular chapter. But the discipline thing I think is is huge because my my wife and I had that conversation uh early on about like discipline and like, you know, there's gonna come a day when she's gonna be disobedient and like, you know, what are we gonna do? And we decided, even like we were kind of just into the deconstruction stuff, but we decided like right off the bat, like we're we're not going to spank Jordan, like she's not going to know, not going to, she's not going to have that experience. And the biggest thing for us was like, we just couldn't wrap our heads around. Like, how do you, how do you tell your child not to hit somebody when they're upset with them? But yeah, you hit them. Like there, there has to, that's just creates such a disconnect in, in the mind. You know, we've had, we've had friends who tell us that they, you know, spank their kids and their, you know, their reasoning is, well, I turned out okay. And it's kind of like, well, did you, did you, okay. You know, right, like, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, you know, I don't know if that's the, if you, if you turned out the best you could, and I don't, I don't know, but I don't even know if that's like the best answer is to say, well, I turned out okay. So I guess it's okay to hit my kid. Like it just doesn't make any sense. So when you, when we try to break it down and say, well, like they say, well, why don't you hit your kid? And we'll say, well, or why don't you do spankings? Because it doesn't make any sense. How, how do you explain to a five-year-old? Like you can't, 
hit your friend at school when they make you mad, but you made me mad. So I'm going to hit you. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And there's, I think there's a, a break of trust there. Like you said, there's, you know, it's, there's a, there's a, a break of trust. There's a break of something in the relationship breaks down. I think in the mind of the child, when there's all those questions, because all those questions are going to come to their head. There's no answer for them. And so they're going to be left alone in, in their room, you know, at night with those kinds of questions. And it just doesn't, I don't want that from my kid. You know, no, me neither. Relationships thrive in safe environments. Yeah. And spanking right. your child teaches them that you are not safe. You cannot always be trusted yeah. to do the right thing for them. Yeah. And I understand the mindset. You know, listen, when I believed in a God who told people to love their enemies, but was coming back one day with a oh, sword yeah. shooting out of his mouth to kill millions of people, sure. yeah. spanking made a lot of sense. Yeah. But I don't believe in that anymore. I don't believe that the God who told us to love his enemies, love our enemies was, is going to come back one day and kill his. Yeah. I don't believe that. And yeah. so that has an impact on my parenting. And I'll tell you something about Derek day, mm-hmm. Derek, um, Derek and I don't believe a lot of the same things mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. Derek is very different on social media than I would ever choose to be. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of bristle sometimes. And I've told him this, mm-hmm. I, I kind of bristle sometimes when I see some of the things that he does on social media. But let me tell you this, when I was in a hospital and I thought I was dying because a blood clot had just passed through my heart when I had COVID mm-hmm. Derek day was the one calling me on the video chat on wow. Facebook, checking up on me. Derek yeah. day is a compassionate, compassionate yeah. man. Yeah. Carl Forehand, our mutual friend, had a stroke yeah. early this year. Derek Day calls him at least once a week to check on him. How are you? What do you need? How can I help mm-hmm. you? Derek Day is is one of the best human beings I know, yeah. even though I completely disagree with so much of what he says. And yeah. that's why I had to have a chapter from him in this book. Yeah. And he's got adult kids and he's got little kids. And mm-hmm. so he knew that journey very well that yeah. I'm in the middle of right now. Yeah. It's so funny that you say that because I follow him on social media too. And some of the things he posts, like you said, it'll I'm like, Ooh, you know, like it'll make me, make me cringe. So when I saw his name in the book, I'm like, Oh, this is going to be interesting. Like what, <laughs> what, what is he going to write about? And when his chapter, I think like I, I can read people's compassion in their writing. I can hear, I can like, I could just feel the vibe that someone gives off. I think that his chapter gives off the most loving, caring, compassionate vibe that there is in the book. I really think that. Isn't it astounding that somebody who would tell you there is no God is dripping with grace? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love that. And that that just, to me, just testifies of how, oh my goodness, what's the word? We're all connected. Yeah. And we may have very different beliefs, but we share this human experience. Yeah. And life just has a way of flowing out of anybody who's open to that flow. And Derek is, he has terminology that I don't fully comprehend. And I'm sure his, he's a child of his experiences like we all are. And so maybe if we went through some of the, I know his first wife died a horrible, terrible, painful death. Mm. And so he's been through some things that I haven't been through. And so he may have come to some different conclusions, but he is such a good human being. And honestly, God, he's an atheist and I'm a Christian. But I wish I was more like Derek Day. Yeah, that's so. That's so. That's so good. That's a whole nother podcast we could do. <laughs> that's right. We'd have right? to get Derek on here for it. That's right. All right. So, last question for you, Jason. This one okay. stems from a a personal place. So we've kind of already explored it a little bit. Maybe we could drill down into it a little bit more. But I'm curious, what have you learned about talking to specifically younger children uh, about God and about 
faith and some of the big questions that that come up because I know I like you I was raised in a you know strict uh, evangelical fundamentalist kind of a world and you know like we said we're taught to have all the answers and I was taught to be confident you know in talking to both parents and or adults and kids about God and, and all the things like I have a bachelor's degree master's degree doctoral degree so like literally trained to talk about these deep theological issues to adults in an adult sermon and then children in a children's sermon all in the same church service and give them all the you know all the answers but now i've got this this five-year-old daughter and being in the weeds of deconstruction for for a while and i've embraced doubt i've released certainty all those different things but i still struggle sometimes to like talk to her about God and Jesus. And if she asks me a question, I can feel myself tensed up with like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to have the answer. I don't know what I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to say. And in her mind, you know, I've released certainty. I've released, you know, all those different things, but her, her young mind is growing and is searching for a sense of stability and a sense of certainty. And so I'm curious, like, what have you learned about kind of balancing those things and talking to younger kids about God when they, when they ask a a question where they you know how kids can be like they they don't they don't let up <laughs> be relentless like you give them right. an answer and you yeah. it's kind of vague and i think it's okay but okay well tell me more about that and it's like i just get myself down this this hole and i'm like i don't really know what to say anymore so maybe we could change the subject <laughs> i think first thing in my mind would be to leave room for mystery mm-hmm. right and i know you've already embraced that you talked about releasing certainty embracing doubt yeah. leave room for mystery yeah um Secondly, I think I would remember that when our kids, especially little kids, ask us questions, they're not necessarily thinking that everything we say is exactly the truth, exactly (laughs) right. 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 You don't actually have the pressure that you had on you when you were taking your, you know, doing your dissertation. You don't have to get this right in every degree. And I think I've learned to start more sentences with my kids with, well, I think. Mm. No, rather than this is the way it is, which yep. is it, when I was trying to pass along a handed down faith, yep. I would just tell them the answer. And this is the answer. Now, my first response is, well, what do you think about that? Yeah, because I'm really more interested in what they think than them knowing what I think. Yeah, But if they ask me and if they insist, I'll tell them what I think. But I'll say, that's what I think. And you know what? That's not the same thing that I thought 10 years ago. Yep. So 10 years from now. You may think something different than you think right now, and that's okay. That's how we grow. Yeah, that's really Uh, good. I really think when it comes to kids, especially 10 and under, man, you cannot go wrong by just following the Mr. Rogers model. Mm. Fred Rogers was an incredible human being uh, for learning to communicate with kids. Mm. He, He wanted them to feel safe and loved. I've actually got two Mr. Rogers bobbleheads behind me. Nice. Excellent. Uh, he wanted them to feel safe. He wanted yeah. them to know that they could trust the adults that were responsible for their care mm-hmm. and that the adults would never do anything to hurt them, but also not shut down their creativity. Yeah. And so maybe when kids ask questions, the best thing to say is just, well, I'm not entirely sure. What do you think? And let yeah. them teach you. I was thinking, I was thinking tonight actually about, about, I knew I was going to ask you this question. I was thinking about just some of my interactions with Jordan and one of the things I I think I feel like I was writing in my journal the other day, and I feel like I'm in this place where I used to think I had to give Jordan knowledge. Like I had to, even like when I began deconstructing, I'm like, okay, 
we live in the South, you know, so she's gonna, she's gonna come across the angry God theology, you know, it's just a matter of time before, you know, one of her friends tells her about hell or something like that. So I have to make sure that like, she knows this other way to think. And I have to make sure that, you know, she knows that, you know, this Bible verse that somebody's going to tell her can actually not mean that it can mean something entirely different. Like I, I had this, like, I was putting so much pressure on myself to give her, make sure I, I could give her all of the knowledge I could give her. But now I'm in this place where I think the greatest gift I can give her is to know not the knowledge, but to know the source that I've come to know over the last 10 years of my life and hope and pray that one day she'll go deeper into that source than I'm able to go, that she'll dig the well even deeper for future generations. And so all those books behind me, they're great. They're wonderful. They've helped me so much. But at the end of the day, I don't want her to know those things as much as I just want her to know the source, the divine, the love that is there in the universe for her. And I think that if I can model that for her in some way, shape or form, I think that that puts me on the right track. Well, from listening to your podcast all these years, and just from what I see of you on social media, I think you're setting Jordan up very well to experience the depths mm. of the love of source because you love her so well. Mm. and you have talked about apologizing. You've talked about asking her, you know, what she wants to do, mm. uh, what she's not feeling good. So I know that you are, you're, you're an exceptional father, Glenn. And I'm not saying that because we're on a podcast together. Mm. I, I believe that with all my heart, you're an Thank exceptional you. father and you're setting your child up very well to uh, plumb the depths of divine love. Mm. And so I'm excited to see where Jordan heads and, and lead your family down the road as a little child will lead them. Thank you. Thank you. You know, uh, you know, Alexander Shia, you've yeah. heard of him, I'm sure. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. So he, I do a lot of work with him and he's, he's become like a real mentor to me, but I was talking to him a while ago. We're talking about dreams. And I was telling him that Jordan had a dream one night and I said, she was telling me that she had a dream about Jesus. Mm. And I said, that's interesting. I said, so, you know, tell me more about, about this dream, you know? And so, well, me and Jesus were in my room and we were playing Barbies and we were playing blocks together. And I said, oh, that's, that's cool. Interesting. And so I was telling Alexander about this and he paused and he said, so who plays Barbies and blocks with her? And I was like, well, I do. And he said, and he just, he waited for me to get it. And I was like, oh, he said, he said, she is going to start to understand the divine, understand God through the interaction that she has with you. Mm -hmm. And so talking about like not spanking, you know, talking about all the things we just talked about and trying to model for her love, apologizing to her, different things like that. She's going to, he said, she's going to look to you and that's how she's going to start to connect with God. And so he said, she's already doing that in her dreams. And I was like, you just gave me chills just to think then <laughs> like, what a, what a, what an honorable thing to be as a parent, right? To be somebody who represents the divine to our children. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So beautiful. And that, that dream that Jordan had is so much better. When I was growing up, I had this recurring dream every single night of a hand coming from under my bed to drag me to hell every single night. Yeah. And the only way that I could not have that dream is if my dad prayed for me before I went to sleep. Mm. That's how conditioned I was by toxic religion. So yeah. man, Jordan's, she's got a, a great start yeah. on a life of freedom. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Well, Jason, we are just about out of time, but this has been a lot of fun, my friend. Uh, thank yeah, you for taking the time great. to join me. Thank you. Please thank, thank Brandy you, for me too, for putting this book 
together for the work that you guys have done with this. It's it's fantastic. And I, I can't recommend it to our listeners enough. Thank you so much, Glenn. Keep doing what you're doing. Your podcast is the trendsetter. I told you this before we went on. I'm so grateful for you, your life, your message, your work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And really quick, where are the best places for people to go to connect with you? Obviously put the podcast in the show notes, but where else can people go? Uh, MessySpirituality.org. You can pretty much find everything there. Um, I've got a Pathios column. I've got, you know, the book stuff there. Um, and you'll find the podcast there as well. So you could pretty much find me right there. Awesome. I'll put it in the show notes and we'll see you in cyberspace. Father, Thanks, man. Please help me. I need your guidance, Lord. Come on and get me, Lord. A real one coming to your throne. Gotta believe that I'm of your own. Conversation, revelation from the maker of man. Falling to my knees, praying to God, bless me with my one and my needs. Know that he got my back and no choice but to proceed. Only thing that I ask is that you do set me free. Free. Falling to my knees, praying to God, bless me with my one and my needs. Know that he got my back and no choice but to proceed. Only thing that I ask is that you do set me free. Look, sometimes it doesn't hurt to be selfish. No, I got a big heart, I like to be helpful. Some people take it for granted, it goes for all levels. No, I might sound crazy, it can be dreadful. Got a clip, you think you got the keys. On the voyage, always searching, I feel at the knees. Nothing but to go above and I can go beneath. I've been through the highs and lows of things you can't believe. So many folk are independent, you know that's a given. Cause they've been hurt so many times, that's just part of living. God reminds us on the daily, it's already written. Can't believe she ate the fruit and we know that's forbidden. That's forbidden. It's been a minute since I felt so amazing. Lost out in the space where stars are gazing. Maybe I see heaven while the sun all blazing. Instead, I'm going and hit the dreams that I'm still chasing. Yeah. Father, please help me. I need your guidance, Lord. Come on and get me, Lord. Feel one coming to your throne. Gotta believe that I'm of your own. Conversation, revelation from the maker of man. Falling to my knees, praying to God, bless me with my one and my needs. Know that he got my back and no choice but to proceed. Only thing that I ask is that you do set me free. Free. Falling to my knees, praying to God, bless me with my one and my needs. Know that he got my back and no choice but to proceed. Only thing that I ask is that you do set me free. Yeah. When I die, you're the first I'm trying to see. Never got to say goodbye, cause I'm still in disbelief. Only seen you in my dreams, always blocked by all the beams. Maybe it's a sign I can take it to extreme, yeah. My decisions were the base of what we talked about. Always pulled to me, make sure I never had a doubt. You weren't the perfect person, but nobody is. You always dreamed to have a house of wife, some little kids. You were the king of in the making. Always about your paper, never sure there wasn't breaking. Forever I'm inspired. Your hustle ambition, so I'm in mine. In the same place, close to my heart, your desire. End of the day, I just want to see your face. You to tell me that you're proud of me, I always find a way. I know that you're around me when the wind starts to sway. A cardinal in the trees, I just need you here to stay, yeah. Father, please help me. I need your guidance, Lord. Come on and get me, Lord. Feel one coming to your throne. Gotta believe that I'm of your own. Conversation, revelation. 
falling to my knees praying to god bless me with my one and my needs know that he got my back and no choice but to receive only thing that i ask is that you do set me free free falling to my knees praying to god bless me with my one and my needs know that he got my back and no choice but to receive only thing that i ask is that you do set me free